good morning. Welcome, everybody. How are we feeling today? Pretty good. Two pretty goods and then sleep. All right. All right. I know it's icy. I know it's cold, but we can wake up a little bit this morning. Uh, a few announcements. Really just one uh, announcement. Our community groups are back up and running. Uh, our community groups are really where all of the things that we enjoy and love about our church come together. Community, fellowship, prayer, Bible study, uh, just enjoying one another. That is really where all of those things kind of co- you know, come together in our community groups. So we really encourage you, jump in. If you haven't plugged into one, jump into one. We do have a couple of schedule changes when it comes to community groups. Uh, our Monday evening group, that, was a, that is a, a women's only group, excuse me, that group has moved uh, to Tuesdays in the afternoon. So Tuesdays at 1 o'clock. The Monday night group is now Tuesdays at 1 o'clock, so ladies, uh, if you show up, show up on Tuesday, not on Monday night, because nobody will be here. Uh, and then the Saturday morning group has pushed back their time. Uh, the Saturday morning group is going to be at 10 a.m. Uh, starting last week, actually, but uh, going forward, 10 a.m. on Saturday. So if you uh, want to spend your Saturday morning with Dave Rico, uh, that's a good way to spend the weekend uh, and spend a, spend a morning. So Saturday mornings, 10 a.m., and then the rest of our groups are all still the same Wednesday night, Thursday night. Friday night. So Tuesday through Saturday, uh, there should be a time in there, hopefully a time and or day that works for you. So please plug in if you haven't already. Uh, Even if you just say, you know what, I got one free, I got a free Thursday this week, I got a free Friday this week, uh, jump in, plug in. Even if it's just one time, you will benefit from it. You will grow from it. The book that we're reading is chapter by chapter, kind of isolated. You don't have to have read ahead of time to be able to jump in. Each chapter kind of is its own little world. So uh, feel free. We'd love for you to plug in. Information is in uh, is at the back table as well as uh, on our website, so you can get connected there. And then uh, the only other mem- uh, uh, announcement is that we do have a membership class coming uh, in the next couple of weeks. We'll have the date locked down here this week, and we will announce that. So if you are not a member, you're interested in becoming a member, or just interested in learning more about who we are, what we do, why we do it, what we believe, uh, and want to uh, learn those kind of things, you can jump in on that class uh, in the next few weeks. So uh, we are going to be jumping into Galatians chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Galatians chapter 4. So we are returning to Galatians. This is a series that we started um, back in September when I came back from sabbatical. Uh, And so we took a break for the Advent season, and now we're going to jump back in. And uh, the plan is going forward, just give you a little peek behind the curtain. The plan is we're going to be in Galatians uh, from now up into uh, the, the season of Lent, which is right around the corner. It's coming soon. And then uh, for Lent, we're going to be looking at the Psalms of Ascent. And so if you want to hear a really good sermon on Psalm of Ascent, you should check out what uh, Daniel did last week as he preached and, and did what he always does and feeds us and our souls well. Uh, he preached Psalm 132, which is a Psalm of Ascent. And uh, as always, just knocks it out of the park. So if you want to, if you didn't hear that last week, you should check it out on the website. Uh, and so the season of Lent, we're going to be in the Psalms of Ascent. That'll take us up through Easter. And then after Easter, uh, Lord willing, the plan is we're going to open up the book of Acts and we will be in Acts for a while. It's a long book. So that is the kind of tentative preaching plan for 2022, uh, unless something major changes. But this morning, we are going to be in Galatians. And so I'm going to pray, and then we will uh, jump in and and get to work. So please uh, bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this opportunity for us to gather, for us to celebrate you, for us to be reminded of how much we enjoy you, of the many, many things that 
Sunday services of, of, of a corporate gathering do. One of them is that, is, is a reminder for us as we sing about who you are and we lift up our voices in, in song and in prayer and we open your word. We are reminded it is impossible to miss the fact that you are good and awesome and fun and great and being in your presence and, and pursuing you is, is life-giving. And so, Lord, we, I pray that this morning is a life-giving time, is a restful time, is, is, is a time where we can enjoy you. Not because of any kind of show or any kind of production that is put on, but just because of who you are, because you're good and awesome. Lord, you have a word for us this morning. You have a reason for us to be in this text this morning. And so I ask that you would help us to understand that. Help us to hear, to respond, and to live in light of what you have for us this morning. God, we pray as we look around the world and there's still so much pain and suffering and hurt and we're still in the midst of a pandemic and there is anger in so many places and now with the cold weather turn on the news and there's just so much that can be exhausting God we pray that you would fill us up and encourage us Lord we lift up those who are affected by um, the situation that happened yesterday in Texas um, God we thank you that um, you are in control of all things at all times, that you are working all things together for your glory. We ask for comfort, we ask for peace, and we ask for reconciliation. God, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we, uh, like I said, we took a break um, on Galatians, and so like any good series that takes a break, we need to do a quick review of uh, where we were to, to catch us back up in Galatians. And so Galatians is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Christians in the area of Galatia. Uh, that's modern-day Turkey, for those of you who like to know that kind of thing. It's probably one of his earliest letters written. And these are people that he knew personally and he cared deeply about. When we do get to Acts way later on uh, this year, he spends a lot of time in this area of Galatia as he plants this church and, and spends time ministering there. It's people, like I said, that he cares deeply about, which comes out in the language uh, and tone of this letter that he writes. And so like most of the epistles in the New Testament, this letter is written in relation to issues that the church was facing. And really, this one uh, big issue has a lot of other tentacles kind of coming off of it, but there's one big issue that he is addressing throughout this letter. And the big problem was this. There was a contingent of Jewish leaders who were teaching that for Gentile, that's non-Jewish Christians, to truly be welcomed into the family of God, they must be circumcised. Now, this was rooted in a belief that the people of God should still be living and acting as if they were under the law which God had given to the Israelites at Mount Sinai. This was uh, the guiding, driving reality of the Jewish people for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so these Jewish leaders say to be a part of the family of God, you need to live like the people of God have lived for hundreds and hundreds of years. The problem with that is, and the problem with this way of thinking is that this reality, when you add to the gospel, you are no longer proclaiming, no longer believing the gospel. Your salvation is not secure and does not actually exist 
at all because the gospel, the good news that Jesus, God in the flesh, came to earth, fully God and fully man. He lived and died on the cross and rose again three days later, and in doing so, he paid for our sins and freed us from the bondage to sin, to works, from trying to earn our salvation, all of the things that the Jewish people and these Jewish leaders were clinging to in holding on to the law, Christ freed us from. And so much of this letter is about Paul teaching and reinforcing the concept that our right standing with God comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in God, in Christ alone. Paul throughout this letter has gone about this, trying to push this, trying to help these uh, readers, these listeners understand this, and he's gone about that in many different ways, trying to appeal to them. He shares about his own conversion, his own experience with meeting Christ. He reminds them of the reality of the fact that they possessed within themselves the Holy Spirit because they themselves were saved. They have the full and complete access to the Holy Spirit within themselves. He took them to Scripture to give them biblical examples from the Old Testament to say, look, this has always been the plan. It is The law was never meant to save. The law was never meant to be eternal. It couldn't be. It was always the plan for Christ to come and free us. He talked about everyday life examples. He talks about contracts. He talks about different kinds of relationships. He does everything he possibly can to say, look at all these examples. I want you to understand this. You need to hear this and understand this. And here in chapter 4, Paul is pleading with them to not fall away. The compassion and care that he has for them is evident in some of the very vivid language that we're going to see next week in the way he speaks of their own hearts and compassion that they have when they were welcomed into the family of God. And so we've called this series that we've been looking at Freedom in Christ, which is truly what Paul has been driving at throughout this letter. And we'll once again here this morning drive this point home that you are made free in Christ and Christ alone. And so we're going to pick it up uh, in verse 8. Of Galatians 4. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, you can how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. We're going to stop right there. He says in verse 8, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. Paul is reminding the Galatians of who they were before they had Christ in their lives. Simply put, they were slaves. Slaves to counterfeit gods. Before and without Christ, that's all of us. Slaves to our own desires. Slaves to our own wants and whims. Slaves to the world. And that slavery is death. That's what Paul's going to say in Ephesians 2 as he writes to the church in Ephesus. And he says in Ephesians 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work at those who are disobedient. All of us have lived among them at one time, gratifying in the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. This is who we are by nature, by default. Our default setting is one of disobedience, of rebellion. And because of that, we have by nature, we are by nature dead and trapped, stuck, helpless, and hopeless. It doesn't matter what it is for you, whether it is drugs or alcohol, pornography, sex, self-righteousness, a relationship, 
even just the act of going about the works of living out the Christian faith, this being a Christian in the way that you live out your life, whatever your thing is, we get addicted, consumed, and enslaved to all sorts of things this world has to offer. And all of those things claim the very same thing. They claim there's happiness there. There's fulfillment there. There's peace. There's joy. They claim hope. They they claim life is found here, but ultimately their claims are shallow, empty, and destructive. We tend to view idolatry as this old-timey concept, right? That's an Old Testament Bible thing. That's not something that really affects us today, but that's just not true. Because we were created to worship. Every one of us is, is part of being made in the image and likeness of God. It's part of being human. Is You were created to worship. You have a drive within you to worship. The question isn't, are you a worshiper? The question is, what is it that you are worshiping? Practically speaking, you can look at your life. You can look at how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you spend your emotional and mental energy, what consumes and drives you, especially when nobody else is around and nobody else knows. And it is in those answers to those questions you'll begin to see what is actually most important to you. But I think if you really got bold and decided to get quiet for a minute, it wouldn't take very long for each of us to know exactly what chains we have lingering on us. Paul has already addressed this very same concept just a few sentences ago in verse 3. For the Gentiles, most of their religious worship consisted of money and sex and some kind of idol. In many of these towns, the whole, the whole economic system of many of these towns was based around these false gods. For the Jews, they were trapped in a system of works-based righteousness grounded in the notion that an adherence to the law would somehow save them. That they could somehow win, that they could barter their way into eternity with God and his righteousness. And while these things are very different and are on very different opposite ends of the spectrum, they have the same destructive conclusion, and that is separation from God for all eternity. Before the Israelites, before we had a relationship with God, we were enslaved to these things that by nature are not God. There's nothing divine about the people, the things, the actions that we prop up as the gods of our lives. And sadly, we all do it to some form or fashion. Sometimes explicitly, sometimes subconsciously, but we all do it. We give our time, our talent, our finances, our resources. We let these things dominate and control our lives when they are all they are are fleeting and failing, just like everything else about this world. Before Christ, we were chasing satisfaction, wholeness, shalom, as we looked at a few weeks ago, completeness. And when we seek that completeness outside of God, all we are doing is chasing ghosts. We're chasing smoke. It's nothing of substance. That is us without Christ. That was us. And for some today, this morning, that is you, but it doesn't have to be that way. Paul uses this point to remind them of what it was like before they met Christ, who they were, where they were, and what kind of problem that they were in before they met Christ. And then we get to verse 9. But now you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. But is one of my favorite words in the Bible. Because so often things look dark and they look 
bleak and hard and scary, and then a but shows up, and this conversation changes. But now. See, that was then. This is now. Who and what and where and why, all the demanding and motivating factors of your life are now changed in and by and through Jesus. But now you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. To know in the Bible is experiential. Not just knowing information, not just knowing facts and figures, but actually knowing a person, having a relationship with them. See, it's easy to know about God. How many thousands upon thousands of books have been written? It's easy to know what it looks like even to play Christian. To know the right words to say, the right actions to take, the right things to support, when to show up, when not to show up, and how to carry yourself. But just because you know things about God, just because you know how to look like a Christian doesn't make you a Christian, doesn't mean that you have a relationship with God. To know God is to have a relationship with him, to pursue him, to learn about him, to grow in an understanding of him. And what's amazing is that the God of the universe allows himself to be known. He made himself known here through creation, through community, through his son, through Christ walking on earth, the very imprint of the nature of God, as it says in Hebrews. You can know him. You can have a relationship with him. You can pursue and grow in an understanding of him and be swept up and delight on and abide in his goodness and glory for the rest of your days here and never get bored and never get tired and never finish knowing him, never get to a point of I have arrived, I have known all that there is to know about God, I am there. There is always more of him to be known, more of him to understand, more of him to experience on a deeper and deeper level. And Paul takes this idea of knowing a step further when he says, not only do you know God, but rather, and maybe more importantly, he knows you. So all that we just said about the intimacy, about a relationship, the pursuit, it's all there just on the other side, too, between God and those who are his children. It's not that God didn't ever know you or didn't ever, like, not know you, right? There wasn't a time he didn't know you. But in and through Jesus, the relationship changes, and the knowing goes from that of creation to cre- creation and creator to father to child. Right? My son, Benji, has a lot of friends, some of them here in this church, and I know his friends. I care about his friends. I want them safe. I want them happy. I want them healthy. They are wonderful. Those of you who are parents in this church, you are doing a wonderful job, and you, are, you should be proud of your kids because the kids of this church are a delight. I know Benji's friends, and as much as I care about his friends, at the end of the day, they aren't my kids. Benji is. I might know and have a relationship with his friends, but that is much different and much less intimate than my relationship with him. If your kid cries at 3 a.m., I'm not showing up. But if Benji cries at 3 a.m., I'll do whatever I got to do to be there for him. See, it's great to know God, but what we need is for him to know us. So how does that happen? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8.3, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Okay, we got a little insight. So we are known by God, how? By loving God. 1 John 4.19, John says we love because he first loved us. 
So God loved us, therefore we can love him, therefore we can be known by him. You are known by God by loving God. You love God because he loved you first and called you to himself and gave you the chance to experience what true love is. And what true love is that God would send Jesus to die for us, that he would come and live a perfect, sinless, spotless life so that he could go to the cross, not on accident, not by happenstance, but because it was a plan and a purpose to get to the cross so that he could die and pay for our sins, so that he could suffer in our place, so that he could endure the pain and shame and sin and experience the wrath of God poured out on him for us in our place so that anyone who would put their faith in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins and that alone would find life and hope and forgiveness. John Piper says it this way. He says, deeper than knowing God is being known by God. What defines us as Christians is not most profoundly that we have come to know him, but that he took note of us and made us his own. There's another quote I have here from J.I. Packer. And I got it on the screen because it's long and it's good. And for some of you, this might ring a little bit because it comes from Knowing God, which is a book we read last year? Last year, I think. Um, so some of this might trigger something in your brains. J.I. Packer says, I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me, and he continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. So Paul says in verse 8, who you were was enslaved and stuck. And he says in verse 9, who you are is known by God. Don't forget that. Don't ignore that. Don't minimize that. Don't lose sight of that because this changes everything. When we can grasp this reality of what it means to be known by God, it puts everything else into perspective. And we can ask the same, very same question that Paul does at the end of this verse. Why in the world would you go back to the weak and worthless things that enslaved you before? It's like the Israelites going back to slavery when they were pulled out of Egypt. They asked to. Or the Israelites choosing the wilderness over the promised land. That's what they did. Or the Israelites choosing exile instead of their homes. And while they didn't do that, they also took their sweet time getting back home after they had the chance to leave. In the three worst eras of the history of God's people, during each one of them, God brought comfort to his people by reminding them of what? That he knew them that he saw them, that he heard them, and that they were not forgotten by him. Brothers and sisters, he sees you. He hears you. He is paying attention. He is at work, and we might not see it or understand it or sometimes even like the way he goes about his business, but if we can trust in who God is, if we can trust in the character of God that we know to be true, and know that he is at work, then we can find some rest in him. Because when we choose what was over what is, we are settling for weak and worthless. And not just settling, but putting ourselves into harm's way, in a horrible, life-crushing position, by putting ourselves back into a dangerous, ugly position that leads us away from God and into darkness. 
This is what we do every time we fall for the lies of Satan, every time we fall for the lies that he tells, every time we fall for just how pretty and shiny and nice looking that fruit hanging on that tree is. When we choose this world over God, we are choosing the weak and worthless and life-sucking things over the powerful, wonderful, life-giving ways of God. And that reality is magnified all the more when we do choose sin, and we choose sin over God, and we fail, and we suffer, and we fall on our faces, and we cry out for God, and no matter how many times, no matter how violently we walked away, no matter how far you wandered, when you call on him, the good shepherd, the prodigal dad, the God of all existence shows up to comfort and forgive and welcome us home time and time and time again. God knows you. He knows the stuff that you're proud of, the stuff you love to share with people, and he knows the stuff in your head and heart that you would die if anyone ever actually knew it. He sees all of that. He knows all of that, and still he sent his son to die for you, and still he calls you his child. That fact is of the greatest joy and most life-changing reality, which again is why Paul is so perplexed, so flabbergasted, so overwhelmed that the Galatians draw to legalism, and that's what they had. They had a draw to legalism, and we see it in verse 10. He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now look, holidays aren't bad, but they aren't life either. If you celebrate out of a have-to, if you show up on a Sunday out of a have-to and you judge and look down on those who don't show up and don't worship and don't hold to the same standards that you hold to, or if it's a chore or just a task or just a thing you check off the box because this is what I'm supposed to do, then you are missing the point of worship. We celebrate holidays. We just got out of the season of Advent. We just celebrated Christmas and New Year's. Like I said, Lent is not too far in the distance. These things are good and helpful and fun and life-giving. But if we get so caught up in the busyness and the business of these things, if we are just going through the motions, just showing up because it's what I'm supposed to do, that's not worship. That's a form of lifeless legalism you are trying to pawn off as faith, and you will never convince God otherwise. That's a truth. That's a reality that God knows because he knows us and he knows our hearts, and that's a truth which you need to confess and repent and investigate the root of in your heart and get that out of there. Paul is worried for these people. He's so worried, he even questions his ministry towards them. He says, maybe, maybe, I, maybe this is all in vain. I've given so much of my time, so much of myself to you that maybe it was a waste. You see, Paul doesn't give up that easy because he continues for like two and a half more chapters talking about how much he loves them and continues to appeal to them. So he didn't really give up on them. But this idea of ministry for others... And pouring yourself out for others. This is what I want, to, I want us to close on. I want you to think for a minute. I want you to think for a minute about the legacy that it has taken for you to get here. Think about the people who poured into you. The people who loved you and cared for you and taught you about God and lived out what it means to Pursue God. Think about those people. Put them in your brain. Put them in your mind. Whether or not you know them, think about the fact that they had people pouring into them. And they had people pouring into them. And they had people 
pouring into them. See, you and I are part of a great tapestry of faith that dates back further than we could possibly imagine. Men and women have labored in prayer and scripture and evangelism. They have pursued the glory of Christ above and over anything else so that future generations could continue, so that we could continue. I mean, this room alone, it's like a hundred, over a hundred years old. Think about the men and women who have sat, who have kneeled, who have stood in this place right here, who have prayed and cried and studied and preached and learned. Think about the weddings and funerals and baptisms and communions. The people who came to faith in this building. The people who came back to faith in this building. Those who were sent out to pursue God's call in their lives from this building. They are part of our story. We are part of theirs, even though they are long, long gone. See, there is hope and life and power baked into this community from people we've never even heard of. There is joy and love that is part of your history, passed down from parents and siblings and friends and teachers and pastors and youth leaders and deacons and elders. Yes, salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It is not our works. It is not what we could do. It is not what anyone else has done that saves us. But those others, those people who shared their lives, that shared the gospel with us, who lived those things out and let us learn from them, that's no small thing. That's not insignificant. It's important and vital. Do not give up on that. Do not give up and let go of what they have entrusted to you. Don't let go of those things for a cheap, temporary fix because it's not worth it. The high fades, the food gets digested, the relationship ends, the money gets spent, the things break, the GPA becomes irrelevant, the lies get found out, the evil gets dealt with, and the wicked gets punished. Everything about this life is temporary, fleeting, and failing, and will fail you. The only thing that's left, the only thing that will stand the test of time is this right here. This will not fail you. Because this is the word of the Lord and it will stand forever. And it stands forever not because this book is magic, not because this book is unto itself a form of a God, but rather it is because of whose words are in this book. We love the Bible. We study the Bible, we read the Bible, we preach the Bible, we enjoy the Bible. And just as a side note, now that we're back into Galatians, starting tomorrow, one chapter every day, Monday through Saturday, if you weren't with us in the fall, When we did this, we're studying Galatians. It's six chapters. So we take every Monday, we're reading Galatians 1. Every Tuesday, we're reading Galatians 2. Every Wednesday, we're reading Galatians 3, so on and so forth. You're smart, you know how to count. Why are we doing that? We're doing that so that we can know God better, so that we can pursue him more, so that we can hear his words, so that we can let them bounce around in our heads and our hearts, so that we can let God's word do what God's word does and change us and call us to new life and rebuke us when it needs to, and give us encouragement, and challenge us. We love the Bible, but we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible, the one whose word endures forever, the one who endures forever, the one who wants to be known by you, and the one who wants to know you. He wants a deep, 
intimate and real relationship with you, not the superficial, shallow interactions we pass off as a connection in this day and age. And once you experience that, once you taste and see that the Lord is good, I ask, why in the world would you return to what you know is trivial and fleeting? I pray that as we walk into this new year, as we, as we walk into today, we would do so with our eyes and hearts and minds firmly fixated on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God now and forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for today. Our thanks and praise for you. There's not enough time left. We, I don't think there's enough words or the right words in our language or any language to truly express the level of debt that we are in and the level of gratitude that we have. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. There is none like you, no, not one. God, for so many of us, we have walked with you. We know you're good. We've experienced the highs. We've seen you move. We've seen miracles happen. We've seen you do amazing things. Just in the fact that you called us to yourselves and you saved us and you provide for us, we've seen it. We've experienced it. We know how good it is, and yet we wander and we get distracted and we get overwhelmed and we let this world pull us in every other direction than pulling toward you. It seems and sounds so easy. Just fix our eyes on Jesus. Just go toward him. God, help us to do that. We live in an overwhelmingly noisy world that is broken and wants to break us. God, we know, you know, we cannot do this alone. We need you. God, help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to remember and rediscover daily just how great it is that you would love us so much to send your son to die for us. That when Christ endured that shame, the joy that was set before him was the possibility of salvation for all of mankind that we are the joy that was set before him. God, let that motivate us, let that encourage us, let that challenge us, let that push us toward living in light of this reality of the gospel. Help us to have a desire to know you more and to be known by you. And to live in light of the fact that we are known by you, that we are your children. God, let us cling to that, dwell on that, and rest in that. 
as we go out into the world today, as we interact and we go back to, we have school and work and, and relationships and all of the things that take up our time and energy during the week, God. Show us those moments, show us those places where we can be the light of the world you have made us to be. That we can shine brightly and point others to you so that they in turn can also know just how good you are. We thank you and we praise you. Amen.